Praise the Lord. Well, that's because we didn't have the mic on. Did you turn that off? I bet we didn't have it on the other night either. Why don't you hold up your hand and say, I got something to say. Lord, I got something to say. <laughs> okay. I got a picture of Jesus in Revelations. It says in the first chapter, 12th verse, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks was one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, kind of like mine, as white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of the mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Have the keys to hell and death. That's Jesus. Amen. Okay. He's a good God, and I've been struggling for a little while on these teachings as to whether to start them and when. And I will say this as we begin these teachings. I'm going to do my best to stay as, as uh, uh, what would you say, as, as teaching, teachable, teaching, teaching spirit as I possibly can. And I'm going to warn you, you need uh, pencils and papers. And I'm going to warn you that if you miss any part of this, you're not going to know where we're at. I mean, if you miss a minute or two, well, you're not going to know where we're at or what we're talking about. And so I'm going to ask God to help me to be able to do my part and then when I look out on the congregation, I'm going to ask God to help me know if you are getting or understanding and keeping your mind on what I'm saying, because if you're not, well, then I will quit and not attempt to do it. There's a lot of truth in these things, a lot of depth in the things that I'm going to begin with, and uh, things that perhaps we never thought on before that God has revealed down through the years as we do our best to take notes on things that God opens up to us and then try our best to put it in the form of a teaching or a message. 
I've been filling in with just messages because I've been kind of working on this and I've been trying to get the uh, consent, I suppose, of God as to when the right time is to do this. And so I'm going to ask for your attention. And if you have pencil and paper so we won't take a lot of time to go to the Scriptures, we will begin at Colossians, the first chapter, and then we'll be reading some from St. John, the twelfth chapter. Now, if you cannot or do not want to take these Scriptures down, why then, if you find it easier maybe to get a tape and maybe go over them so you can check me out, I invite you to do this invite you to check these things out and allow God to deal with your mind. So I'm going to ask you to stand, Colossians 1, 9 through 17. This is for the reading of God's Word. Then we'll be dealing with St. John 12 and also a little bit, I suppose, on 16. And there'll be other scriptures that we will mention that you will need to jot down because I have them written here and you won't be able to find them as quick as I can read them for what's already written down, okay? If I had uh, a title for this, and the other teachings will come later, but this is titled The Judgment at the Cross. The Judgment at the Cross. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And to desire that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And you might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has Take special note, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. 
Father, we thank you for your loving kindness, for the word of God, for the truth, Father, that you have handed down through the ages by various men under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Father, for the revelations that you give by seeking to seeking individuals. And we thank you, Father, for your word. It is so precious. Father, so glorious. And so wonderful, Father, because in it is life. And that more abundantly. So, Father, might we never cease to search out your word. Might we realize things in there that maybe hasn't been brought to light that you desire in our day. For we need all the understanding of you, for you and by you, that we can get in these last days to be formidable foes against the enemy. So we thank you tonight, Father, and we ask that your blessings that we are assured of would be here. Father, and minds would be clear of all things other than the Word of God. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If we were to ask individuals what happened at the cross that day, 2,000 years ago, most all of us would answer, that's when Jesus shed his blood for me, and that is when I had a chance to become a child of God. And of course that in itself is so. But how many of us realize that there was far more happened that day on the cross than just Jesus shedding his blood for us so we could be redeemed. And of course, there was far more that Jesus did that day other than just shed his blood. There were other things that had to be accomplished and done that have gone unnoticed because we shout in the blessings of his blood and in the preciousness of his name and the Holy Ghost. And we fail to realize while he was writhing there in agony, he was working out far more than we had any idea he was working out. Perhaps he begun that in Gethsemane when he was sweating great drops of blood. Perhaps what he was going to be handling for us, in place of us, was far more than what we realized in the urgency of the hour caused him to cry out and caused him to sweat great drops of blood because he understood the agony of the cross and what was going to be transpiring as he was there. More than just giving his life or shedding his blood, he was doing all things well. 
So a question I need to ask tonight, how is it possible for a man to know freedom from sin? How is it possible for man to know freedom from the dominion of the sin nature? How is it possible for man to know freedom from the practice of sin and deliverance from the power of Satan, which is the prince of the powers of the air? And, of course, those answers can be found through the threefold judgment of the cross. I want you to understand that threefold judgment of the cross. The cross was not only an emblem of the love of God or a sign of the love of God, but also a sign of God's judgment upon sin. When God's love for the world is presented to us in Scripture, the love is described in terms of giving of a son, the coming of a Savior, the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that is good. But the cross also stands for a sign of the holiness of God, of His righteousness, and of His justice. It was the cross. There on the cross that Jesus was judged in our place that we might be set free from sin and delivered from the powers of the enemy. I would like to examine carefully and slowly and emphasize three aspects of the judgment at the cross which become the basis on which we are liberated from sin in our daily experience or in our daily walk of life. All of us are fully assured that when we come and apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives, all sin was eradicated. But also, while he was on the cross, he had to work out a way where we could live and walk in a sinless life and experience with Him. And although we continually insist that all of us must sin, we are doing an injustice to the works of Jesus on the cross. Not only we as children of God to live the life of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost, we must be delivered from Satan's domain, from the dominion of the sin nature, and from the consequences of the sin, and it has to be done at the cross. We get all involved at what the Holy Ghost can do in our life, and we'll get to that. But this all has to be done at the cross, because this is where Jesus worked it all out. However long He was there, He was working it out for us. He was judging Satan. He was judging our sins. 
And he was judging our sin nature. Let's look right real careful at that. It was the cross of Christ that dealt with Satan. It was the cross that dealt with the sin nature. And it was the cross that liberated us to walk in a newness of life. Not after the old man, but after the new man, which we become through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we are programmed by the Holy Ghost to walk that away in the newness of life. Forgetting the old things, as my wife said, forgetting the Baker and the Johnson nature and forgetting the Hostel nature, and the Wilson nature, and the Stephen nature, and the Zerbel nature, and the Lane nature, and all of those natures, forgiving those that see old man, and walk in the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! And Jesus allowed us, through the cross, to do this. Okay? I don't think Jesus meant for us to run continually to Him and ask forgiveness for the same old human nature day in and day out because He struggled too hard on the cross to deliver us from that. And we need to understand if you go and see the movie I don't need to, but if you can and want to, fine. But while you watch that, you've got to understand it wasn't necessarily the beatings or just the blood. As he hung there, he was working all of these things out. Hallelujah! Suffering and working them all out so that we could stand before the justice of God cleared of all things. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Cleared of all things. And He made it possible. Now, a judgment of Satan. When we read St. John 12, we see Jesus, or Christ, is anticipating His death and His resurrection. 23rd verse, Jesus speaking, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, 24, I say unto you, except a coin of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. He told the disciples that it would be necessary for him to die in order that through his death he might produce a new life in us. A new nature in us. A new attitude in us. 
Behold, he said, I make all things new. Hallelujah. That was what he was doing on the cross. That's what he was doing as he hanged there. That's what he was doing in Gethsemane. His fighting and defeating the powers of hell so we would have an advance into his kingdom because he is fighting our battles for us and winning them. Glory. Hallelujah. It was absolutely necessary for Jesus to die according to verse 31. He said these words, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You see, he had to die a particular death. He could not die of the scourgings. If you remember, it was the Romans that scourged him. It was not the Jews. The Jews would only give 49 strikes. But the Romans were really good in this cruelty. And many times they whipped individuals to the inch of their life. And perhaps they beat Jesus more than 49 stripes. But it was not possible for him to die under the flogging. He had to go to the cross. Because he'd already said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. In other words, when they see me there, when they understand what I'm doing there, they will be drawn by my power unto me. But we must see the cross, saints. We must understand what it is. So by His death on the cross, He did it so He could pronounce judgment on the prince of this world. He was not there just to shed His blood and for us to enjoy the redemption. He was there to pronounce judgment on the prince of this world. Notice Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Now! At his crucifixion, he is saying, not next month or next year, but as I hang on the cross, I am battling against him, and I am redeeming mankind and claiming back for you what Adam had lost that day in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm fighting a fight you can't fight. And I am fighting it on the cross. Because he said, as by one man came death, by the last man, Adam, comes life, comes redemption, comes joy, comes everything that the devil had been ruler over 
all of these years. The judgment of Satan, prince of this world referred to again in St. John 16, 11, says of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. How many of you know Satan is judged? He was judged on the cross. No wonder he didn't want Jesus to go on the cross. No wonder he in his malignant hatred tried to destroy him before he got there. And no wonder he tried to keep him in the tomb because that would be the final victory and he would be doomed. We get to a little bit more of that. Go back to verse 7 and read through 7.11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come... What's that talking about? Huh? What's the comforter? And when the Holy Ghost is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Hallelujah. We reckon him judged through the power of the Holy Ghost. We don't know it any other way other than the Holy Ghost says, Jesus on the cross judged Satan. You see, Christ is anticipating the fruit of his death. Oh, saints, if we could just understand that we, if we could anticipate the fruit of our death, I don't mean dying the natural death. I'm talking about the dying a spiritual death. If we could just anticipate the fruit of that dying that death to human flesh. My God, what we would present to God, a tree of holiness and of righteousness with fruit everywhere because we've died to the old man and we have recognized Jesus bought this, paid for it, judged it, handed it down freely. Now then, how did... It yet to become Satan's domain. Sovereign authority, you know this probably, over the world was entrusted by God to Adam at the time of creation. God looked at him and said, Adam, this is all yours. Except that one tree that I have reserved for myself, and I am going to give you sovereign authority over everything, all the animals, everywhere. You're their master. Isn't that a beautiful scene? 
in the garden. Birds and beauty and no thorns and thistles or briars. And the earth watered uh, by uh, the dew from the earth. And just a beautiful garden. Thank God that nothing like Gethsemane but a garden of Eden. And there God placed this man that he had created. And said all of this Adam is yours. But Adam... By willful disobedience against God, forfeited his right to rule, and Satan the tempter becomes the God of this world. He usurped that authority. He assumed that authority. In other words, he took possession of this without a legal claim to it. Okay? It didn't belong to him. It's never belonged to him. But he seized it. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, I know what you've done for these thousands of years. I know that you usurped this authority and you took it away from Adam. I know it doesn't belong to you. And so I am going to take the sin of all humanity. I'm going to lay it upon my shoulders. And I'm going to judge the sin. I'm going to judge the sin nature. And I'm going to judge the one that brought it into this world. And I'm going to judge it at the cross of Calvary. Through my suffering and my blood, I'm going to judge it. And I'm going to buy it back. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remember what I ministered not long ago? Remove the diadem and take off the crown. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus was doing. In Apostle Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians 4.4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, and we'll be ministering on that sometime, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which the image of God should shine unto them. He was referring to Satan as the God of this world. In Ephesians 2.2, Satan is referred to as the prince of the powers of the air. Notice what he said. When in times past, speaking to those Corinthians that were spirit-filled, Jesus' name baptized and repented of their sin, said in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan is king, has innumerable host of demonic angels, demons, arranged. It from bondage to him. 
if he has the right to rule, then we are wrong in rebelling against him. And wrong in seeking to live a life pleasing to God instead of one pleasing to the present world ruler. Okay? The Old Testament anticipated a time when the Lord Jesus Christ would come and institute a kingdom on this earth. It was prophesied there would be a time when God's Messiah would put down every rebel and subject all authority to Him. All holy people from the time of Adam looked forward to a time when righteousness would cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Now, of course, we are aware that the prophecies were in anticipation when the time would come for the judgment of Satan, the overthrow of his reign, and the liberation of his subjects. But men did not understand how this liberation would be accomplished until Jesus Christ came into this world, born of a virgin Mary, and went to Calvary. When Jesus died, God passed judgment on Satan, a usurper. And God declared through those who preach Christ that men would be liberated from the one who had held them captive for so long. Oh, the whole world was in captivity to Him. I was in captivity to Him. My mind was darkened. I didn't know much of anything until I looked and saw that blood streamed banner, thank God, waving high. And He was dying for me. And He was doing justice. And He was liberating us. And He was cursing Satan. And He was setting us free by the power of His judgment. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Satan had not acquired a permanent right to man's obedience. He had not acquired an inalienable right to rule. Notice Paul deals with this. Colossians 2.15, write it down. The Apostle Paul made this point very clear that Jesus Christ by his death spoiled principalities and power. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The word spoiled, coming from the original Greek, simply means to take a prey, to relieve someone of his possessions. Hallelujah. Wasn't his to begin with. And Jesus Christ, by the judgment of the cross, removed Satan from rulership, which he professed to have as a permanent possession. He'll still act like he is a permanent ruler of this earth. He still tries to make us believe that he is our 
permanent ruler. That there is no escape from our nature. That there is no escape from the powers of hell. That there is no escape from the evil that lurks within us. But remember, while he lay in the tomb, destined to come out, that the greater part of it was when he hung on the cross, and while he was removing that rulership from the enemy, while darkness covered the earth for three hours, he was triumphing over our foe and delivering us from the enemy and spoiling those principalities of hell and said, I'm going to set you free. Hallelujah. Christ robbed the principalities and the powers that were under satanic authority of their professed rights that said, I own all this. Your forefathers fell, don't you understand? And you belong to me. Ha, ha, ha. You're mine. And even if you apply the blood, even if you do that, it's not going to work because I'm going to work on that old sinful nature. I'm going to make you sin as often as I want to. How am I going to do that? I'm going to appeal to your own nature that's still alive in there. Amen? And I'm going to make you realize that Christ really doesn't demand all your attention. You owe a little bit to flesh. So why don't you feed it and appease it once in a while. Now that is not realizing what an awful, awful thing it was for that beaten, battered, and bruised individual hanging on the cross was working out for you. Not just to forgive your sins that was past, but help you to keep under control this sin nature and to defeat the enemy of your soul. Jesus made a show of them openly. (laughs) Yes, He did. Triumphing over them. Notice, when Jesus went to His death, He robbed principalities and powers of their authority. Yes, He did. And by His resurrection, He demonstrated that the judgment was valid because He triumphed over the powers of hell and death. Thank God for that. Hallelujah! All hell, every demon force of hell, was consecrated upon the tomb of Jesus Christ to try to keep Him in death's grip. Every, every single demon force of hell 
was leaving everything else alone. All the hierarchies was arranged there and even put it in the minds of individuals and kings and said, keep him there. And every demon of hell was there to seed in his state. But death could not keep its prey. And Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, this, this demonstrated the validity of the judgment of the cross as it fell upon Satan. I notice carefully, even though Satan was judged at the cross, he was found guilty and he was sentenced. But the execution of that judgment won't take place Tell Jesus comes to this earth a second time to reign. You know, that's not strange to us. We see people tried and convicted and bonded out. And sometimes they go for years before the sentence is carried out. And is this a mistake of God's? No. Uh-uh. He had something greater that he's going to prove. Hallelujah. He was going to prove that because of the man Jesus and the church that was birthed by him, humanity could see what happened at the cross and you and I could be victorious over human flesh. So that the devil would have to stand back and say, There's a few people that I cannot rule. Woo, hallelujah. There's some people that will not submit to me. Hallelujah. But we must learn not to do this. Now don't say you don't, because we do. We see that in our personal life. We say that in a demonstration of things that happen that we want to blame the devil for and it's really not his doing. It's our carelessness and our lack of prayer and our walking after our flesh doing what we want to do the way we want to do it when we want to do it and the enemy is glad when he sees that because that takes away what Christ did for us on the cross. But the execution of that judgment will not come until after Satan has been released at the end of the millennial reign and only for a short time. And then the judgment that Christ worked out on the cross is finally executed and Satan is cast into the lake of fire forever and forever. Hallelujah. God did it through Jesus 2,000 years ago. And He allowed us to understand that even though the execution has not happened, He paid the price for us 
And we, as redeemed individuals, are not subject to His rule anymore. Unless we get the wrong idea, Satan, although he's judged, is still active. He's just as active now and as vigilant now as he ever was and even more so. The difference is that before the judgment was passed upon Satan, and remember, this is on the cross, no one had any assurance that he or she could ever be delivered from Satan's dominion. Until the cross, nobody had any hope. Even those who cried concerning the coming of Jesus still realized Satan was the ruler. Nobody could displace him. Nobody was big enough Strong enough, powerful enough. But then came Jesus, born in a manger, a babe in Bethlehem's manger, grew to childhood, the Son of Man and the Son of God, and yet was able to mount the cross of sin and shame and battle the powers of hell and wrest his domain from him. But since God passed judgment upon Satan at the cross, the ones who trust Jesus Christ as Savior can be sure, and we need to be sure, that Satan has no legal right to compel the child of God to obey him. Amen? Because we don't belong to him anymore. But he doesn't give up. And when we think about the divine nature of God... You've got to understand one thing. God did not ever change your own nature. He didn't mess with it. He knew it couldn't be changed. And so, at the new birth, He just gave us a divine nature. A new nature. And then these two fight and war. Okay, like uh, Isaac and Ishmael, a son of... Uh, of the bondswoman and the son that was born of the promise. That was at war. And so we've got to fight. But he didn't say, hey, I freed you from this, now you're on your own. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. When Satan comes to tempest, tempt us, we have the right, we have the authority to rebuke him and to remind him that he was judged on the cross and he is a deposed leader 
and have no right to continue issuing orders to us. Only God has that right to redeem children of a living God. And if we can use that power, if we would use that power, when it comes in, say, enemy, you tell me to do this, and the conviction is there by the Holy Ghost, and you don't have any right, to be telling me what to do. So the deliverance of the believer from sin in his daily life, first of all, upon the judgment of Satan, passed at the cross. Now there's also what we'll deal with a little later, the judgment on our sins and judgments on our sin nature. Now most of us are aware that God judged our sins through the body of Jesus Christ and His blood as He was cursed for us. So this one ought to be hard for us. But also on the cross, he wrestled and he won a judgment over this sin nature. We'll get to that sometime. Thank you for listening and remember. Remember, redeemed child of God, called by his name. The enemy is not your ruler. Okay? He might rule under over-redeemed individuals, and he might rule over unredeemed nations. But as far as the church is concerned, as far as you and I are concerned, Jesus worked that out on the cross. And put him... To open shame. Hallelujah. Put him to open shame. Stood before him. Divested him of all the authority he had had through the ages of time. And set us free from the powers of the enemy. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.